0: Hey, this is Steve this podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life that means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today well I know you have great plans for your summer but often we get overwhelmed with distraction with busyness and we miss out on the great purpose that God gives us our summer for don't be overwhelmed and defeated but experience overwhelming victory for the purpose that God's called you to. So it had been just three years since the people of Israel had been rescued by God from Egypt. In those three years, they saw a lot of things happen. God did a lot of things for them. Obviously, before they even left, they were protected from the plagues that God sent. And then God miraculously rescued them from Egypt. They were able to leave till Pharaoh's army started chasing them. And then God miraculously parted the waters for them to travel across on dry land. They escaped Pharaoh's army. And then for those three years, God led them with the pillar of fire and the cloud. God fed them with bread falling out of the sky. His presence was clearly seen. His his presence settled on the tabernacle. And he had met with Moses on the mountain who delivered the law to them. They had watched God deliver time and time again. And it was after these three years that they arrived at the border of the promised land. God had led them to this beautiful, wonderful land of promise. This place where they would grow and thrive and become the nation that he had designed them to become. And here they were at the border, ready to go in. And so Moses sends some scouts ahead to say, hey, y'all go in there for a couple of weeks and you just look around the entire countryside and come back and give us a report. And so, sure enough, 40 days later, uh, the scouts returned. And this is the report they gave. We find it in Numbers 13. Here's the report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. They brought back examples of the fruit that the grapes, you know, big enough to where, I mean, just huge, crazy, insane examples of the fruit that it produces. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's more than we ever dreamed. It's everything God ever promised. But, they said, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So everything is wonderful. Everything is great. God is giving us exactly what He promised. But this is risky. This is scary. The people that currently occupy the land are giants. And I don't know if we can do this. This, this freaks us out a little bit. And so they gave this report, this great, wonderful, godly blessing, but report, and it freaked everybody out. Everybody begins crying and whining. They're scared. They start saying things like, Oh yeah, great. God gave us Moses and Moses led us all the way here just to be destroyed. And once again, the people of God, they're like, we'd be better off back in Egypt. Let's go back. Let's choose a new leader to take us somewhere else because this isn't working out for us. And they panic. They go crazy. They even start talking about killing Moses because he's such a bad leader, apparently. Caleb and Joshua were two of the scouts and they begged the people, not to respond this way, but to obey. In Numbers 14, 7, it says the land, they say this, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safety safely into that land and give it to us. It's a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Please, they're begging, please do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They might be giants, but they're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. Their cities might be fortified, but they have no protection because the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. They beg the people to obey rather than to rebel. But the people wouldn't hear it. They wouldn't hear it. They continued to rebel, continued to call for the death of Moses, and they decided not to claim the promise that God had given them. And so sure enough, God tells them, okay, you're not gonna go in now? Listen, you're gonna go in. I'm gonna get my will, but It's gonna be 40 years. And instead of claiming the promise, instead of moving into the land, flowing with milk and honey, you're gonna wander in the desert for 40 years. And everybody in your generation must die before your people get to go in. They wasted the opportunity because of doubt and fear. They didn't wanna take the risk. So they wasted 40 years and thousands of lives. They missed out on the glory that God had for himself through them. We started this message series last Sunday, and the thing I wanted you to learn last week is also the first blank on your page this week, and here it is, that glorifying God is my summer's purpose. The whole reason God created June of 2022 is so that He could glorify Himself through you and through me, because He owns my summer. He owns your summer, am I right? I mean, he bought it with a price, even though, even though you were created in God's image and then you rebelled against him, and even though you became a traitorous criminal against God because you rebelled against him just like those people of Israel, even though you were under the condemnation of your own sin, the judgment of God, even though that's true, God still loved you, somehow loved you enough to send his own son Jesus who came and he went to the cross and he took all of the blame for your sin and my sin on himself and he paid the price for our sin. He paid the price for our rebellion taking our punishment on the cross, dying your treasonous criminal's death, and he did it to pay for you. That's grace right there, is it not? He did that for us, he dies in our place, and then he rises again to give us new life in him. And so, in other words, he has bought you, he's bought you with a price, he has shed his blood, he died for you to bring you back to God. He's bought you. He owns you. That means everything about you, including your summer. In 1 Corinthians 6, uh, Paul tells us that you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you and I must honor God with our body. I would scratch the word body out right here for the purposes of this message and say, honor God with your summer. Honor Him with your summer, honor Him with your June and your July and your August. Everything I do this summer, everything I say this summer, every dollar I spend this summer, every hour I allocate this summer, all of it should boast of Jesus, right? Every single thing about me should just point to Him and give Him all glory. But I don't always do that. And you don't always do that, right? I mean, let's just be honest. We want to, we say that we're all about that, but we're not actually really that good at it. Why do you think that is? I think it's because we are just like those people of Israel. We doubt and we fear. We don't wanna take the risk because glorifying God seems to be risky. It seems to be dangerous to us. Right? I mean, just think about it. I know, I know, I know. I listen to us all talk to each other. I know you want to share your faith with your neighbor, with your friend, with your coworker. I know you'll want to, but you don't want to put your relationship in jeopardy. You don't want to create an awkward moment. You don't want them to act differently around you. So you just kind of keep your head down and you keep quiet about it. Right, I mean, I know it seems risky to want to be able to do that. If you were to actually invest your money the way God wants you to invest your money, well, that sounds risky because then I might not have as much to spend on all of my streaming subscriptions. Right, I mean, I might have less to spend on myself if I spend it the way He wants me to spend it, therefore that sounds like a big risk. You know, if you actually spend your time the way He wants you to spend your time, I know it sounds risky because you feel like if you only live for Him, you might miss out on something for yourself. You might miss out on having some of the fun that you wanted to have this summer. You don't wanna do that because you might just lose something. Yeah, we don't don't boast of Jesus in everything that we are because it's risky and we don't like to lose. But I got news for you. Everything in your life is a risk, right? I mean, whatever you might place your trust in this summer, it's a risk. Anything other than God Himself, it's a risk, right? Whether it's possessions or whether it's time or that big vacation you're going on, whatever it is, if it's of this world, it's ultimately going to fail you, right? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen today. You can't even see past this moment that we're in right now. After the service is over today, you might just pull right out of the parking lot onto 515 and get T-boned right there. Right? You don't know. Ask my mom and dad. Happened to them a few years ago right out there. You don't know. Heck, your heart could decide to stop beating before this sermon is even over. Everything is a risk. You're always taking some kind of risk. You never know what the future might actually hold. So what we tend to do is we tend to play it as safe as we possibly can. We don't want to get out there where it seems dangerous. We want to kind of keep it as safe. We keep our heads down and we keep as quiet as possible. So in 1980, Steve Jobs took Apple computer public. It was a huge deal because, you know, uh, at the time, computers were very, very, very hard to use and inaccessible to most people, Uh, but the Apple computer came out with the mouse and the first uh, consumer user uh, interactive interface where you could just point and click, and so this was revolutionary, and everybody got excited about it, and when they came out with their IPO, Man, people invested into Apple Computer. Man, just, just lots of money came flooding into Apple because people wanted part of that Apple Pie. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> so everybody's all into it in 1980. But, you know, something happened it, over the course of the next few years. They didn't really come out with a bunch of new products. Nothing really happened much. Uh, They actually had a few flops during that time, big flops, and there's a lot of turmoil and controversy within the organization, and by 1985, the board forced Steve Jobs out of the company. They kicked him out of his own company. So he leaves Apple Computer, and the stock value of Apple just dropped right off, as you can imagine, and they languished for a long time. They still didn't come out with anything really new. They just couldn't figure out where they were going, what they were doing. And by 1995, Apple was in total disarray. They had no purpose, no direction, and their stock was selling for 20 cents a share. Everybody was dumping it, trying to get rid of it. Nobody wanted to get stuck with Apple stock by 1995. I mean, they could just about couldn't give the stock away. I mean, they had all risked it on this investment into Apple and it didn't look like it was paying off. So people panicked and they sold their stock for as little as 20 cents a share. But little could they know in 1995, that two years later in 1997, Steve Jobs would in fact return to Apple. And it was after his return that Apple came out with the iMac, the iPhone, and the iPod. Not in that order. But they came out with those devices and their stock skyrocketed, skyrocketed. It went from 20 cents a share to splitting seven times and now being worth over $170 per share. And if you bought stock back then, you would have had seven times as much at a much greater value, so much so that if Ken Can had invested $10,000 into Apple in 1980 and buckled his seatbelt and hang on, just hung on through all those really, really bad, bad years. If he had just hung on through the eighties and the nineties and into the two thousands, if he was still holding on to that $10,000 worth of stock today, that initial investment of $10,000 would today be worth $6.7 million. What? So if I could go back in time Who wishes they could just go back to 1980 right now with a little cash in your pocket? Wouldn't that be great? I would beg anyone, I would beg anyone at that time now, knowing what I know now, I would go back and say, I know it's a risk, and trust me, it's gonna get really hard. It's gonna get to be about 1990, 92, 95, and you're gonna wish you'd have never bought this stock. It's gonna just just bottom right out, but hang on. Because by the time you get to 2022, you're gonna be worth millions, just hang on. You see, here's the thing, risk is only a risk because we don't know what's gonna happen next, right? Risk is only a risk because we don't know what's gonna happen, we can't see tomorrow, we can't see the future. Yeah, in hindsight, knowing what I know, yes, I would invest, but back then in 1980, hey man, that was just a big gamble. We're willing to jump in boat with both feet if it's a sure thing, but if it sounds a little risky, the answer is going to be "Mm, no. We can't see past tomorrow, but here's the truth. And it's the next blank on your page. God cannot risk and he cannot fail. You hear me? God cannot risk and he cannot fail. We can't see past right now, but God knows it all, sees it all. God's in charge of all of it and his will gets done. Am I right? That was pretty tepid. I'm glad I serve a God that cannot risk, cannot fail. I'm glad I can place my faith in something much more stable than Highway 515, much more stable than Apple computer, much more stable than the economy right now, much more stable than our government, much more stable than any of the relationships I've got. I can trust and I live for and I can give my summer to a God that cannot risk, cannot fail. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's why James writes this. He says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town. We'll stay there a year. We'll do business there. We'll make a profit. Well, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wants us to, you see, here's the thing, God gets what he wants. He alone is in charge and he's not taking a risk. Jonathan, when he let Jesus go to that cross, he was buying you back and it was no gamble. He was not taking a risk on you. He knew exactly what he was getting. He knew exactly what you would become. He knew exactly what the fruit of that decision to let his son die on the cross would be. God did not take a gamble on anybody in here. He knows exactly what he is getting out of you. Are you willing to give him everything he deserves to get? That was tepid again, just tepid again. God will do what he wants to do. Listen, here's the thing, if God is gonna get his glory, How can we lose if God is going to win, no matter what happens, how can we lose? Right? If he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he is the father of all lights, if he is the the giver of every good and perfect gift, how can we lose? No matter what happens, up or down, good or bad, economy or not, T-bone or not, whatever it is, if he's getting the glory, how can we lose? But wait a minute, let me just ask this question. Isn't losing kind of the whole point here? Isn't losing kind of the whole objective of the Christian life? Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, he says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not even worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, if you try to hoard it all to yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Isn't the whole objective to say, I'm giving up myself, I'm losing myself, I'm willing to take the risk because I actually believe in Him more than I even believe in myself? Isn't that the whole point? So when it comes to your summer, here's the next blank on your page. When it comes to your summer, losing and wasting are not the same thing. Losing your summer and wasting your summer are two very different things. Losing your summer means letting him have it to do what he wants with it. God, you are the God of my vacation. You're the God of when school is out. You're the God of my time with my kids. You're the God of the way I spend my money. You're the God of the way I do everything I do this summer. That's losing your summer. Wasting your summer, on the other hand, is missing out on your summer becoming everything God designed it to be. Wasting your summer is coming right up to the edge and saying, no, I'm gonna do what I wanna do and missing out on Him getting the glory that He wants to get through you. In other words, it's better to lose your life than to waste it. Hear me? It's better to lose your life than to waste it. Let me just kind of give you a couple. I was trying to think of some biblical examples of this. So I thought about David, you know, King David in the Old Testament. Uh, he had his conflict with the Amorites and uh, they were building an army, massing a group of people to come and fight against uh, the people of Israel. And so David sends Joab out. He says, okay, you, need, you just need to take everybody and go out there and it's gonna be messy. These guys are bad dudes. It's gonna be awful, but you, you gotta fight for your people. You gotta fight for the glory of God. So he sends Joab out to do this and 2 Samuel 10 says, when Joab saw that he would have to fight on both the front and the rear, in other words, they get surrounded and it's going to be a two front battle. It's going to be kind of maybe hopeless. It says that Joab chose some of Israel's elite troops and placed them under his personal command to fight the Arameans in the fields. He left the rest of the army under the command of his brother, Abishai, who was to attack the Ammonites. And here's what he tells Abishai. He says, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you bring your guys, you come over here and help me. He says, if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I will come and help you. Be courageous. Let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. May the Lord's will be done. In other words, God hasn't told us for sure, here's how you should fight the battle, and I promise you, you will win. We didn't get that from God. All we know is he's called us to fight. He's called us to stand for our people. He's called us to be the people that he's called us to be. So we're going to be courageous, and we're going to do that no matter what the outcome, because either way, God's will will be done. Come on, that's pretty, imp- that's pretty powerful right there. I was thinking about some other examples. I didn't put them all in my notes, but I mean, I was thinking about Esther. I love the story of Esther, don't you? What a great story. Her people had a calendar date to be extinguished, right? It was gonna be genocide on a certain date coming up, and only the king could change the law, and Esther was the queen. I don't know that we would say queen today. We'd probably say something more like she was a member of his harem, but she was the queen and only she could speak for her people. She was a secret Jewish queen. And nobody wanted to go talk to the king because everybody knew that if you show up in the king's presence unsummoned, even if you're the queen, you show up without being summoned, you can be killed immediately just for having that kind of arrogance. And so Mordecai, her relative, is saying, you gotta go to the king, you gotta go to the king, you gotta talk to him on behalf of all of us because we're all gonna get killed on this one day if you don't talk to the king and get him to change his mind. And her response was, if I go before him, I'll get killed. He's gonna have me killed right there in in his presence. But she decided that only she could go and that she must stand and she must speak for her people. And what did she say? She says, if I die, I die, but God's will will be done. Yeah, she was willing to take the risk and be the person that God had put her there to be. I think about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, right? Here they were these good Jewish boys in the foreign land and. And everybody was called to bow to the big idol whenever the music played, and they wouldn't bow. They knew who they were supposed to bow to. They didn't bow to some idol. They bowed only to God. And so they got arrested for not worshiping the big totem pole, and they got dragged in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar's like, okay, I'm gonna give you one more chance. I'm gonna give you one more chance. You recount your, you, sorry, you recant your belief in God, and you, you bow to the big idol that we've set up, And you know what they said, they said, we don't answer to you, we answer to God. And he's like, what? I have to kill you. I have to throw you in this fiery furnace if you don't worship the big golden statue. And they said, you know what they said? They said, God can rescue us. And even if He doesn't, we're still never going to bow to your idol. that's taking a risk, is it not? That's taking your risk, that's being willing to stand and to give glory to God. It's amazing. I can think of several others, but one of my favorites is the Apostle Paul, who spent his life risking it for the gospel, right? Everywhere he went, he would just kind of arrive in a town and kick the door in and preach the gospel until he got arrested and beaten and thrown out of town. He'd go to the next town, kick the door in, preach the gospel and do it all over again. Right, And his life became more and more and more in danger. So, so at one time, he's finally he's kind of making his rounds on his trip, and he's coming back. He's heading back toward Jerusalem. And the people stop him, his people, the people that love Jesus and love Paul, they stop him. They're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. We know what's up in Jerusalem. They're out to kill you. If you go to Jerusalem, you gotta stop. If you go to Jerusalem, they're gonna arrest you, they're gonna beat you, they're gonna torture you, and then they're probably gonna kill you. Do not go to Jerusalem. Please do not go. They're literally crying and begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem because they're gonna kill him there. And in Acts 21, Paul responds to them. He says, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. So Luke writes, when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up, and we said, the Lord's will be done. Wow, that's taken a risk for the glory of God. Well, that's why I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to be like Paul. I want to be like Esther. I want to be like Joe. I I just want to say God's will be done. I'm just going to be who he's called me to be, and his will be done. I'm I'm going to live my summer the way he calls me to live it. His will be done. No matter what it does to me, all I know is he's going to get the glory out of my life. That's the way I want to live. And I promise you, if you live your life that way, it doesn't ever make you a hero. It makes him the hero. It makes him the hero. When you are willing to lose your life for his sake, that's when he gets the glory. That's when he gets the honor. That's when he gets the praise. In other words, next blank on your page, risk is about God's value, not my valor. I'm not, doing this, I'm not doing this because I just want everybody, look at me, look at me, look, I'm the hero. I, I'm, I'm risking it all. What are you doing? You know, uh-uh, it's all about him getting all the glory. It's about how valuable he is. In other words, is he worth it? Yeah, I mean, is he worth it? We say that we love Jesus, that we've given him our lives but are you willing to give him your vacation? I mean, are you willing to give him your time off school? Are you willing to give him the relationships that you have with the people around you? Is he really valuable enough? Is he valuable enough in your life to actually take a risk? Is he valuable enough in your life to actually maybe even take a hit? Man, I know somebody that, has had to answer that question recently. Um, My buddy, John Crawford, sitting right back over there, has a neighbor friend, neighbor friend, a friend, neighbor, a friend, a friend who is a neighbor, somebody who lives near you and they will grace you with their presence every now and then. And this person, apparently a great guy, not a Christian, not a believer. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the son of God and he's never given his life to Christ. So John is hanging out and doing what John does. He's, he's living his relationship out for the glory of God. And he's telling his lost friend about some of the stuff that our church does in the summertime with serving in our community because God's worth it. And so one of the things John does, is he shows his buddy this little video, this little dumb video that I made on the first day of Seamless Summer. I'm glad I posted it on Facebook because that's how he showed it. So I just, I just captured some video of some of the kids that we serve out at Tower Road uh, each day during the week in the summertime. Uh, these are the kids that, uh, make sure that we make sure they get fed in the summertime. And uh, here's some of our volunteers uh, doing just that, serving those kids out there. And uh, it's really kind of a powerful, powerful and fun thing to do. So John just told him about this project that we have where we just serve these kids all summer. And this lost guy who doesn't believe in Jesus had to say, maybe this is worth it. And right then he wrote a $5,000 check to support this ministry. Come on. (laughs) Praise the Lord. John said the Lord's on him already. It's just, it's gonna happen sooner or later. But this guy was willing, he doesn't even know Jesus, and he was willing to take a hit. He saw what God is doing, and he couldn't help but respond to it. And I look at his response, and I gotta ask the question, how does his response compare with my response? I mean, I I say I serve Jesus with my life, but I've never written a $5,000 check. I say I serve Jesus with my life, but I, you know, I don't make it out there to Tower Road every day. Some days I'm busy with other things. And I think that's what goes on with a lot of us. I think we get busy. I think we got stuff going on. I think we get distracted from the pe- being the people that God wants us to be. And we just kind of get too overwhelmed. I think we get overwhelmed in defeat. And we forget who we're supposed to be. What's it like to be overwhelmed and defeated? I say overwhelmed, I mean, I know. Uh, Is Art in the room? I think Art's serving in the safety team right now. I don't know if he's on. Okay, he's in the room. He and I have been trying to catch up with each other, and we're trying to do something really cool for next Sunday. And we've been trying to catch up with each other on the phone, and I called him, and then he called me back, and now several days have gone by and I didn't call him back. And I finally caught back up with him this morning. I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm so- I got busy. I just got really busy. Uh, we've had kids uh, in the house, grandkids in the house, sickness in the house, and we're redoing our kitchen in the house. And I mean, just everything going on. And I just didn't have time to do what God wanted me to do this summer. I got overwhelmed In defeat. You been there? So here's what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Golly, this guy knew what that was like. We get overwhelmed with busy, we get overwhelmed with distraction. This guy went hungry, went destitute, was constantly in danger because he was persecuted and threatened with death, beaten repeatedly, put in jail repeatedly. This guy, this guy, if anybody could be overwhelmed in defeat, it should be this guy, Paul. And he says, as the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day, we're being slaughtered like sheep. Yeah, I mean, good grief, he would know what being overwhelmed in defeat is. But here's what he says in verse 37, he says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. We don't, we don't live in overwhelming defeat, we live in overwhelming victory. We've been given all victory by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And he goes on and he says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor fears for today, nor worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, come on, praise the Lord. So the testimony of Paul is that if God is being glorified, if God's will is done, how can we lose? How can we lose? Why worry about the risk when overwhelming victory is ours in Christ? So how can, how can you do this? How can you give your summer back to him and glorify? I'd like to invite you. I'd like to invite you to join us out there at Tower Road. Join us out there. You don't have to come every day. Come once a week. Come twice in July. Bring your kids. Bring your family. And just come out there and be part of feeding those smiling kids the only meal they'll eat that day and see how you aren't changed by that. Join us for that. I'd like to invite you join us for vacation Bible school. I know it's daytimes during the week. I know it's a big ask for anyone to give, you know, four or five days of your summer for that, but good grief, the life change that happens at Vacation Bible School is priceless. God gets the glory, so how can you lose? So the way you can join us for these things is right now you can grab your note sheet. Would you grab your note sheet for me, please? Would you do that? Can I have one? Would you? Somebody hand me one real quick. I would jump down there, but you know, I'm old. Let me get the other one, the note sheet. I don't want, nobody wants to see that. So. Remember, I used to jump down all the time and do stuff. I'd jump down there and kicked over chairs and climbed over. I, I, now I'm old, Susie. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> so here's the note sheet. I've spit on you. Is that what you said? I've spit on you. I didn't do that on purpose, Susie. I never spit on you on purpose. Did I spit on you? Is that what you said? A lot. A lot? <laughs> I'm sorry, I never did that on purpose. I just have a lot of saliva, I guess. Okay, so here's the, here's the note sheet. On the back of the note sheet, up in this corner, there's the little QR code. Do you see the QR code right there? All right, the way a QR code works is you just take the, the camera on your phone and you point it at that, and it will ask you if you wanna open that website and it will take you right to a place where you can see all kinds of good opportunities this summer for you to take a little bit of a risk, take a little bit of a hit and see what God might not just do in and through you. This is a wonderful opportunity. I know you got a thousand others, but would you just try one of these small ones? Just try it, just try it, just try it. because we want to see God get the glory. He is worth it. Come on, I know He's worth at least one or two days of your summer. I know He's worth at least a couple of hours out there at Tower Road this summer because, last blank on your page, He gives me overwhelming victory. He gives me overwhelming victory in Christ because of who He is and what he's done.